Well, hey guys, thanks so much for tuning into the Harbor Teaching Podcast. We hope that the messages you will hear are both uplifting and challenging. And now, welcome to the Harbor. Well, I'm glad to be here. Really blessed to uh, be with you guys and have the opportunity to share and continue in our series in Colossians. We're going to be looking at Colossians chapter 3 tonight. Um, I've had the pleasure of being able to travel quite a bit in recent months. My favorite trip being about a month ago when I got married to my amazing wife, Sarah. Yes, praise God, praise God. And uh, we took a honeymoon trip over to St. Thomas. And so that was fantastic. It was a really blessed time. Uh, Got to do some snorkeling, got to do some sightseeing, got to do a lot of sleeping, which was very much needed. And so really great. Uh, I love a good trip. What I don't like, however, is uh, packing. I don't like packing for trips. I'm really bad at packing for trips. I feel like no matter how hard I try, I always wait to the last minute to pack. And then no matter how many packing lists I make, I manage to forget something. And the worst thing you can do when you're preparing for a trip is to underpack. Anybody ever underpack for a trip? Only once? <laughs> Never again, right? Never again. So yeah, you don't want to underpack for a trip. What, the bad habit that I have is I'll I'll plan out my outfits for every day of my travel, but I'll forget that I need to wear something to bed in between those days of travel. So then when it's bedtime, I'm stuck between sleeping in whatever I was just wearing all day or sleeping in what was supposed to be tomorrow's nice, clean outfit. And so nobody wants that. Nobody wants to be caught in that situation. Every single day you want to wake up, you want to have the option to put on a nice, clean freshly folded outfit, right? I'll put it this way. If you had the option, right, if you woke up and you had a nice, clean, unworn outfit or you had yesterday's clothes that you were in all day, you were getting sweaty and it was all wrinkly, would you wear the old clothes or the new clothes? New clothes, right? Any sane person would would choose the new clothes, I think. Okay, so why am I going on about all this? Well, the reason is the passage that we're going to read tonight, it, it shows us that there's a similar decision that we need to make every day for our spiritual life. We have the option every day when we wake up to put on the old clothes, so to speak, or put on the new clothes. And so we've been going through Colossians, and if you recall from previous weeks, uh, in the first couple chapters of Colossians, it it talks a lot about who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. And in the chapter that we're going to look at tonight, it's going to bring it to the practical. With those truths in mind, it's going to kind of show us how that translates to how we live out our lives, right? So as we look at that, uh, if you just join me in prayer as we start this time. Dear God, I thank you so much for this night. Thank you for our time of worship. Thank you just for every person that's passed through the doors tonight. Thank you that they're here. Uh, I thank you for this, uh, this book that you've gifted us with to be able to learn more about your heart, learn more about uh, how you would have us to live, because we know that it's ultimately for our benefit as well as your glory. And so I pray that tonight will be for our benefit and for your glory, God, that you'll just move in this time and that you'll speak to us through your word. And in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. So in, uh, in verse 12 of the previous chapter, chapter 2, Paul mentioned that we were buried with him, him being Jesus, in baptism, 
and raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. So that's an important piece to know from the last chapter because with that thought in mind, Paul continues in verse 1 of Colossians chapter 3, if you want to turn there. It said, but we'll have it on the screen as well. It says, if then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. And so it's easy to look at a lot of the Bible, especially a chapter like this, and see it as kind of a list of do's and don'ts. Just you shouldn't be doing this, you shouldn't be doing that. You should be doing this, you should be doing that. And it can maybe seem on the surface like it's just asking you to change your behavior, which we all know is not exactly a simple task. But the thing is, the same God who inspired the Bible is the same God that created you and created me, created each and every one of us. And God is fully aware of the fact that it's our core beliefs that motivate our thoughts, and it's our thoughts that motivate our behavior, right? And you can track this pattern in a, in a passage like this. It starts with belief. The passage starts with, if you have been raised with Christ, so everything else hinges on that. Everything else that we're going to read in this chapter, it starts with, if you have been raised with Christ. And so, if that's something that you believe in, if you've put your faith in Jesus Christ, if you believe that Jesus came and he died on the cross and he rose from the grave, that available through him is the power of resurrection, then that's the starting point. That's where the new life begins. If that's not where you are tonight, if that's not something that you believe in yet, we're very glad you're here. You're very welcome here. You're in the right place. But if you have put your faith in Christ, and this is your belief that Jesus was raised from the dead and that same power of God resurrects us spiritually, then in response to that belief, set your mind on the things of above is what Paul is teaching. Seek those things that are above. Set your mind on them. In other words, let that core belief in the resurrection power of Jesus motivate the way that you think and guide the things that you set your mind on. And so then the question is, what does it mean to seek the things that are above? It's kind of a very poetic sounding phrase, seek the things that are above. Well, for one, the things that are above, you could describe it as the things that are beyond, the things that are more important than the things in this world, greater than the things in this world, the things that last longer than the things of this world. And then seeking, well, we all know what seeking looks like because most of us grew up playing hide and go what? Seek, right? What do you do when you play hide and go seek? You're searching high, you're searching low, you're searching in dark places, you're searching in hard to reach places. You're looking all over the place, but you're not just looking aimlessly. Every moment of that search is motivated by a singular objective, and that's finding the person that's hiding. And so along the way, you're going to see all types of people. You're going to see all types of things. But if they're not the person that you're seeking, it's kind of irrelevant. You don't care that much because all of that gets filtered out 
when you're looking at your entire environment through the lens of the question, can I find them here? Can I find them there? Is this a place that they could be hiding? And so I think it could be argued that we all go through life like this, that depending on what it is that you're seeking in life, what your ultimate objective is, what your ultimate goal is, what your core mission in life is, that that's going to color the way you see the world because you're going to look at everything in your environment through the lens of the question, can I find it here? And we can seek all types of things. We can seek uh, money. We can seek power. We can seek pleasure. We can seek attention. We can seek our physical well-being. Or we can seek to feel loved. These are all things that we might go through life as our ultimate goal. But listen to what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6. It'll be on the screen for you. Matthew chapter 6, starting at verse 31. He said, Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. So the question for each and every one of us to ask ourselves is, what is it that we're seeking most in life? What is that main objective? What is that thing that is the main driving purpose through every moment of our lives as we look around at this world? Jesus would teach us that our ultimate goal should be the kingdom of God and his righteousness, that we should be seeking to know the Father. We should be seeking to live out his truth. Because the things of this world are temporary, but the things of God are forever. And so, I think I skipped over the first point. There's going to be four points that we look at today as we look through Colossians chapter 3. So, the, the first point is embrace the new life Christ gave you. Embrace the new life Christ gave you. So, if you want to take notes, that's the first point, and that's everything we just talked about. But the next point we're going to look at is put away the old self. Put away the old self. So, in the analogy that I said at the beginning about packing for a trip, let's say that I did not underpack. Let's say that I was responsible for once in my life. And let's say that I packed exactly the amount of clothes, including pajamas, that I need for every day of travel. So let's say I wake up in the morning in my hotel room or wherever, and I have a nice, clean, freshly folded outfit to start the day with. Despite the fact that I have that available to me, I, I could still make the choice to just throw on what I was wearing yesterday. It might be a little wrinkled, it might be stuffed in my bag somewhere, it might not smell that good, but it is still available. I could still put those clothes back on. And, and so in a similar way, we have this new life that Christ has given us. We have this new self but we can still make a choice to fall back into our old ways. We can still make a choice to start to behave and talk like the way we used to before we encountered Christ. And so this is what Paul says about this idea. He speaks against this in Colossians chapter 3, starting at verse 5. He says, Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is like envy, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. 
So Paul says to put to death what is earthly in you. And what this verse is telling us in part is that there are things in us, in our hearts, things about us, desires that we have that are not good for us. They're not for our benefit, and they're not to the glory of God. They're things that we should actually kill, things that we should put to death. And this is right in line with what Jesus taught back in Matthew chapter 16. In Matthew 16, starting at verse 24, it says, Then Jesus told his disciples, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. So what Jesus was teaching us is that following him means self-denial. Being willing to say no to ourselves, Being willing to say no to our desires. Being willing to say no to the things that might be so easy to do that they, they feel natural to us. And this is directly in opposition to what our culture teaches us. Because the messages of our culture today are, are self-fulfillment, self-affirmation, and self-love. The world today teaches us that our highest calling in life, that the best life we could live is one where we are who we want to be, we do what we want to do, and we live out our truth. But the calling on the life of a Christian is different. The calling on the life of a Christian is to deny ourselves, pick up our cross, and follow Christ. And that's not an easy thing to do, but it's the most fulfilled life that we could live. The first thing that this passage mentions when it lists off some of these earthly things that we need to put to death, the first thing it mentions is sexual immorality. And so maybe for some of us, that's the thing that we need to put to death. Sex and sexuality are beautiful things that God designed to be shared and enjoyed between husband and wife. But anything outside of those guidelines, the Bible would call sexual immorality. Whether that's hooking up with multiple partners, homosexual relationships, lusting after somebody who's not your spouse, watching pornography, or making unwanted sexual advances on somebody. All of these things are considered a, a misuse of the sexuality that God gave us. And so I think a lot of us, if we were honest with ourselves, we could say that we're guilty of one of those. I know I certainly am. But for us as followers of Jesus, sin is not something that we embrace as our identity, but it's something that we put to death on a daily basis. And now moving on to verse 7, it says, In these two, in these you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. And so the new life that we've been given in Christ, this new life that we've been raised to with Christ, it impacts the way that we interact with one another. It impacts the way that we talk to people and it impacts the way that we talk about people. And so Paul says, anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk, and dishonesty. Paul says to put them all away. Now, this is what Paul doesn't say. What Paul doesn't say 
is that there's an exception for when you're talking about your boss. He doesn't say that there's an exception for when you're talking about your ex. He doesn't say that there's an exception for when you're talking about celebrities or politicians. There's no exception for any of these, but our, our, our language should be one that reflects the new life that we have in Christ, regardless of who we're talking to, regardless of who we're talking about, because all those people are people that were made in the image of Christ, that were made in the image of God and need the love of Christ. All these people, each and every one of them, regardless of if they're a Hollywood actor, a U.S. president, or if they're in that political party, fill in the blank, right? Each and every one of them. And, and related to that note, the next thing that he says in, in verse 11, he says, here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. So what this means is that part of our old self, part of the things that we need to put away if we're in Christ, is finding our ultimate identity in these earthly categories. You may identify with a race or ethnicity or nationality. You might describe yourself with your occupation or your social status. All these things are fine, but Paul is telling us that those things don't ultimately define who we are as much as the fact that we are in Christ. That's where our ultimate identity is found. And since that's the case, within God's church, those earthly categories should not divide us, but rather we should be unified by our shared identity, this shared new life. We should be unified by the fact that we're all in Christ. Now, the next point, the same way that we can wake up and choose to put on yesterday's clothes, we can make the smart decision, the hygienic decision, right, to wake up and put on the new fresh clothes. And so the next point is to put on the new self. The last one was to put away the old self. The next point is to put on the new self. So listen to what Paul says about this in verse 12. He says, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. So this is a theme that you're going to see a lot throughout the New Testament, starting with the teachings of Jesus and all the way through Paul's epistles, is this idea that the forgiven are forgivers, and the forgivers are forgiven. That there's a direct connection between our forgiveness of other people and God's forgiveness of us. Here's what this means is that every single sin that we've committed in our life has been a sin against God and it's grieved the heart of God. And despite us failing time and time again, and not just me, not just you, but every single person in this room, every single person outside of this room, living and dead. Every single sin has grieved the heart of God, and God sent his son to die and cover each and every one of them so that we could be forgiven for them. And so if we've been forgiven so enormous of a debt, if God has forgiven us so much, then that forgiveness that we've received from God 
actually empowers us to be able to extend forgiveness to those who have wronged us. Because the hurt, the pain, the debt that people have, the wrongs that people have done against us, they pale in comparison to what God has forgiven us for. And so we should let God's forgiveness of us motivate us to extend forgiveness to people who have wronged us. Verse 14 says, And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you are called in one body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. This right here is God's vision for his church. This is a beautiful picture of what the church is supposed to be. And I know a lot of people in this room may have experienced unhealthy church environments. A lot of people in this room might have experienced church hurt. And I want you to know that this this is what the church is supposed to look like. And I really believe that this is what the harbor wants to be. I think the harbor wants to reflect what's in this passage right here. Love, peace, unity, a devotion to the word of God, teaching, correcting, and sharing wisdom with each other, and worshiping and giving thanks to God. That's what we want to see within the church environment. That's God's heart for believers, not just within the walls of the church building, but also outside the walls. When you go to a restaurant after this, when you go to your school, when you go to your work, and when you go home, we want to carry this attitude and this heart among us. And speaking of going home, that brings us to, to the last point that we're going to go over tonight, which is keep the new self on at home. Keep the new self on at home. So beginning at verse 18... Paul starts to give some specific instructions to the different members of the typical household, right? Different members of the family. He starts speaking specifically to them. And so if you're reading through the chapter, you might look at it as like, oh, he's starting a new topic now. He was talking about this, and now he's talking about families. But I really believe that everything he's about to talk about flows directly out of everything we've just read. Because... This is the new self lived out practically within the different roles within the home. If we put on the new self and we live out this new life that Jesus has raised us to, this is how it plays out at home. And I think this is important because I think it can be very tempting to put on that compassion and that kindness and that meekness and all those things that we just read about as we're getting ready to go out the door for the day and then take it off once we get home at the end of the day. I, I think that this is something that I've struggled with. And maybe sometimes we show more love to our friends or our coworkers than we do to our parents and our siblings. Or that we show more patience and forgiveness to the people at church than we do to our spouse or to our children. And so this is something that we need to take home with us. We shouldn't be different people depending on if we're behind closed doors or not. And so this is what this looks like 
played out in the lives of different members of the household. First, it says in verse 18, wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Now, as I mentioned in the beginning, as of a month ago, I'm a married man. And in my expert opinion, <laughs> this is good advice. This is really good advice. <laughs> yeah, it works out pretty well. It works out pretty well. So, and the cool thing about this that you'll learn if you take a premarital class here at Calvary Chapel, which I highly recommend. They didn't pay me to do that. It wasn't, it wasn't part of the curriculum. They're like, okay, well, you got to give an endorsement afterward. You get a discount. No. No, but I highly recommend it. And one thing that you'll learn is that these things, you know, the, what, what, what the wife is being asked and what the husband is being asked, if each member of the marriage does their part, it makes it so much easier for the other person to do their part. I would be willing to bet that the women in this room would find it a lot easier to submit to a husband who is loving and gentle rather than unloving and harsh. And likewise, when a wife respects and submits to her husband, then that drives a husband to be loving and to be gentle. And so this is a thing that just works both ways, and it's a beautiful cycle once it starts. And so for those of us here who are married, then we can put this into practice and we have our part to play. But I know a lot of people in here are single, and so for, for the people in here that are single, I would encourage you to let God begin to transform you into a person who can do this, into a person who can show that gentleness and that patience, that person who can respect another person that you're living with. It's not an easy thing. And so let God begin that work so that you're prepared for whatever God has in store for your future. Next, uh, Paul speaks to parent-child relationships. He says, children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. And so I know this is a young adult ministry, so most of the people here aren't children or parents. But uh, for those who are living with their parents still, I, I'd say it's important to remember not to neglect showing the love of Christ to your parents through your honor and respect for them. Even at, at this age, I think it can especially uh, be meaningful to your parents. And then if you have kids or may have kids in the future, our goal should be that we are an earthly representation of what they can expect from their heavenly father. The heavenly father that we want to raise them to know one day, we want to, to model that because so many people don't have a good earthly model of what a loving parent is. And so we can demonstrate the love of God, the, the patience and the forgiveness and the gentleness that God shows us even when, we went, even when we mess up, excuse me, like I just did. And we can demonstrate that to our kids uh, through the patience that we show them. And so, and then now in a typical first century Roman household, uh, you would have a husband and a wife and you would have kids, and you would also have servants. And those who had servants working for them were called their masters. Now, that's obviously not how we get down in the 21st century American household, for good reason. But in first century Colossae, that was standard. And so that was the context 
to which this letter was written. And so as Paul was writing to the church, he's writing to believers in Jesus Christ, and some of them are wives, some of them are husbands, some of them are children, some of them are parents, some of them are bond servants, and some of them are masters. And so he takes time to address people in each of these individual roles. And so this is what he says to bond servants and masters, starting in uh, verse 22. He says, bond servants, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ, for the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done, and there is no partiality. Masters, treat your bondservants justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. So to the servants, he's saying, there may be someone on earth who's called your master, but ultimately you are working for God and you will receive your reward from God. And to those who are masters, he's saying, you may be seen from an earthly perspective as somebody's master, but you yourself have a master in heaven. And so deal with your servants the way that you will want God to deal with you. And so this passage puts both the master and the servant on the common ground of being accountable to God. Now, it's been said that the Bible has one true interpretation, but many applications, right? And this is really true because it is a fact that this was written to bond servants and masters in the first century. It was not written to modern-day employees, but... I do think that this can apply. I do think that we can apply the principles of this passage to our jobs at Starbucks, at Domino's, at Holmes Regional, and at Northrop Grumman, especially verses 23 through 24. So let's read it back, looking at it in the context of whatever job you work in, whatever profession you have, whatever keeps you occupied throughout the day. Verses 23 and 24 say, whatever you do, Work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. And so what we can take away from this is that whatever you do, do it as if God is your boss. Do it as if you were doing it for God, as if God called you to this task. How would you work? If it wasn't for that boss that you don't like, if you weren't working with those co-workers that annoy you, doing customer service with those unbearable people, if it wasn't about them, right, if you weren't working to just be seen by them and to gain their approval, but if all your work was to honor God, how would that affect the way that you show up to work? How would that affect your attitude at work? How would that affect how diligent you are in your work, how honest you are in work, how much integrity you work with. And so as the, as the worship leaders come back to play, I just want to wrap it all up by encouraging us to, as we went over, embrace the new life that Christ gave us. To put away the old self and to put on the new self and to keep the new self on at home. 
to keep it on at home, to keep it on at school, to keep it on at work. That this is not something that we take on and off. This is not something that we switch up on, but we want to wake up and every day make the decision to live as the person who God called us to be, not the person that we were yesterday. God's given us a new life, and we want to take full advantage of it because there's no fruit, there's no benefit to living the way that we were before Christ came and did the work in your heart. And so choose to walk in that every day. I'm just going to pray to close us out. God, I thank you so much for resurrection power, God. I thank you that we have a God who is powerful enough to raise Jesus from the dead and is powerful enough to raise each and every one of us to new life, to change our ways, God, to change our thoughts, to change our behavior. And I just pray that day by day we see that change taking place within ourselves. And I thank you that you've called us to participate in this process, God, that we have free will and we can choose you every single day. We can choose to walk in our purpose that you've called us to, God. So reveal that to us, God. Help us to really understand who you've called us to be and help us to make that decision when it's hard, when it's easy to fall back into our old behavior, God. Help us to make the right choice. Help us to put on those new clothes that you've given us, Father. And I pray all this in Jesus' name. Thanks so much for spending time with us. If you'd like to know more about The Harbor, please follow us on Instagram at wearetheharbor. Also, if you need prayer, feel free to send us a DM. Otherwise, tune in next time.